This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace. Um, I got asked a great question yesterday, and again, I'm the author of This Naked Mind, so I'm answering questions in regard to alcohol and an alcohol-free life. Lisa asked me a question, and it is such a personal question because her experience just mirrors my own so much that I wanted to get on early this morning before we hit the slopes and answer it. Um, So this is Lisa's question. She says, the one thing that weighs heavily upon me is the guilt. Having not given up drinking yet, but certainly turning the curve into hyper-awareness about alcohol, I find the guilt to be crippling at times. The undeniable voice at 2, 3 a.m. after the booze wears off. You find yourself wide awake with thoughts in the darkness. That level of guilt for giving in again seems almost more crippling than any craving. How do you pull yourself out of that and stop punishing yourself? And that's such an important question. And I guess first thing, Lisa, is know that you're not alone. I mean, when this was happening to me, and it happened to me over the course of probably six years that I I felt this on a really regular basis. Apologies, it's windy. Um, And in fact, in the preface of my book, like this is my description, this is my story, feeling this guilt, you know, this is what really propelled me to where I am now. And despite it being so common in so many drinking stories, we all feel like we're completely alone in this, that we must be the only ones laying awake at this time of night when the alcohol's worn off and the carbohydrates and energy are surging, unable to get back to sleep and just feeling miserable. Um, But these experiences, when someone starts to really question their drinking, I mean, they're almost universal. So just know that you're not alone. And let's talk specifically about guilt and where guilt comes from. So in psychology, cognitive dissonance is something that's talked about. And it's the mental stress, guilt, or discomfort of that's experienced by a person with two conflicting beliefs. So around alcohol, you, Lisa, now have two conflicting beliefs because you're becoming hyper-aware. You have the belief that it's doing you favors, that it's relaxing you, that it's helping you socially, and some of these beliefs are deeply unconscious. And then you have this belief that you don't want to be drinking as much as you are. And so um, these two conflicting beliefs are basically your mind being at work with yourself, and this creates this level of cognitive dissonance. And so you believe something's both good and bad at the same time, or you believe something's bad, but you're doing it anyway, all sorts of different ways this can manifest. And we as humans, you know, we seek harmony, internal harmony especially. And, you know, it's this very cliche thing that peace starts in the home. Well, your true home is inside yourself. And so true peace really does start inside yourself. And so when you feel cognitive dissonance, when you're not at peace with what your actions are and what you're doing, that is an extremely uncomfortable place to be. And so, um, This guilt is part of what's called dissonance reduction. And that's where your mind is trying to actually remove the conflict that's happening and bring your beliefs in line with each other. So psychology says there's really four ways to overcome cognitive dissonance or to reduce your dissonance. And let's let's look at this with two different examples. One, let's look at it with a donut. You know, you don't want to be eating this donut because you're on a diet. And I think that can help cement this because it's a little different with alcohol. But with a donut, The first way you can change and overcome cognitive dissonance is you can change your behavior. So you're not gonna eat any more of this donut. 
Um, with drinking, you can say, okay, well, I'm only going to drink two glasses of wine. There's a really inherent problem with that. The problem is that just one glass of wine, and much less two, actually impairs your prefrontal cortex. So that's the part of your brain that you use to make decisions. And all sorts of studies have shown that that part of your brain is impaired when you drink. This is why really good people end up driving drunk, is because they no longer are able to tell that they're impaired. That part of their brain that is able to judge and measure and make decisions is impaired. It's, it's useless. And even more interesting, this impairment can happen with cravings. So they actually put addicts in um, MRI machines and they measured these parts of their brains, what was happening in the machines, and they'd show addicts pictures of, of something that would trigger cravings. So if it was an alcoholic, maybe they'd show them you know, a, a glass of scotch. If it was someone who was addicted to cocaine, they'd show them you know, some co a picture of cocaine, and this craving would happen, their system would flood with dopamine, and their prefrontal cortex would go black. That means that you actually have impaired your ability to make a decision to execute choice when you're going through that craving. Now, knowing that makes it much easier to deal with, but it's, it's a really real, real thing. So that's why just saying, okay, I'm just going to have two glasses of wine rarely works because you've impaired your ability to make the decision about the third glass of wine. It doesn't seem seem as important. So that's the first way is you justify the behavior or you, you change the behavior. The second way to reduce cognitive dissonance is to justify the behavior by changing your conflicting thoughts around the behavior. So with a donut you might say, oh well I can have a donut every once in a while. I'm able to cheat on my diet. It's no big deal. Um, this can make sense with alcohol if you're going to use instances instead of limits. So Kenneth Anderson, he is the creator of HAMS, which is harm reduction, and he has this really interesting thing where he, every Friday night, allows himself 17 units of alcohol, which is like a fifth of whiskey, and he does it Friday night, and he doesn't drink at all through, during the week, and, um, and he's done this since 2002, and he calls himself a non-abstinent recovery from alcohol, and he makes this instance of, I'm going to cheat every Friday night on this alcohol Thing and I'm going to you know, kick back, have my whiskey, whatever, and then the rest of the week I'm not. And he's able to do that because he's not just deciding, okay, I'm just going to have a glass where then you disable your cognitive dissonance. So anyway, there's all sorts of ways to justify it by changing the conflicting thoughts. Um, a third way of overcoming cognitive dissonance is to justify your behavior by adding new behaviors. So with the donut, you could think, okay, well, I'm eating this donut, but now I'm going to go spend 30 minutes at the gym. Um, I would do this with alcohol by <laughs> exercise and alcohol and I joined even groups I mean seriously like I was part of a club that we called ourselves a drinking club with a running problem and because we were running and drinking together the drinking became okay I have a good friend and she would want to go for beers but she would only allow herself to go for beers if she ran to and from the bar and so this is you know a good way of you justify it by adding new behaviors um, the fourth way to overcome cognitive dissonance and I think this is the most common way around alcohol alcohol is you ignore or deny the information that conflicts the existing belief. So you tell yourself with the donut, oh, this donut isn't that high in fat, it's not that high in sugar. Um, this is so frequent in our society with alcohol. We simply choose to ignore the fact that alcohol is addictive, that it's linked to more than 60 diseases and causes cancer. We just ignore this as a group, as a whole society, and, and therefore it becomes very easy to ignore overall. But Lisa, in your question, you're becoming hyper aware to this, you know, and that's a great thing. And I know it doesn't feel great right now, but 
this guilt the next time you're feeling it instead of beating yourself up maybe look at it as a teacher because becoming hyper aware to this means that that ignoring and denying the information it only makes your guilt go away for a short amount of time and it's not actually a, a lasting solution um, and I can't take credit for this idea because I was discussing your question Lisa with my husband last night and he made a really profound point. He actually wrote me an email after I was asleep. So I'm just going to read this to you because it holds so much wisdom and so much truth. And he says, I was just thinking that she might take a tiny bit of comfort knowing that she's now on the right path. She's heading in the right direction. She's awoken. Feeling the guilt feels terrible, of course, but it's the first step in truly wanting to change and then making that change. If she can somehow reframe the guilt to be awareness, that might help. Sometimes just knowing the right expectations, that this is normal, that it will happen, but it doesn't mean that you're heading down the wrong path. It actually means that you're heading down the right path. That can be really helpful, at least a little. So I thought that was really worth sharing, and I think it's true. I mean, it's a huge gift to be awoken to what's happening. You're better off feeling the guilt, being awoken, and, and realizing it. Um, than you were before you're becoming aware to this. And life is truly the teacher. I mean, it's great. And you learn all the lessons you need to learn to become your best self. I'm a firm believer in that. So maybe you can overcome it a little bit by keeping a journal by your bed. And when you wake up, sort of start to write down your thoughts. Maybe ask yourself why exactly you want to drink. Um, and be really detailed in this. Ask yourself exactly what you think you're getting from drinking. Be really detailed. Ask yourself your fears about drinking less. Again, go into as much detail as you can. Ask yourself what your life would be like without alcohol and start making plans and expectations about how amazing it could be without um, feeling this guilt and without this internal turmoil that you're experiencing. And ask yourself what it would be like to align your mind, no matter what that means for you. If it means moderation and you can make that happen or if it means complete abstinence, whatever it means, just don't focus on that as much as asking yourself what it would be like to be living in in the internal piece of knowing that you're making decisions that make you feel really good about yourself. Um, so Lisa, I hope that helps. And if you haven't already picked up the first four chapters, they're free at my website, thisnakedmind.com, and just read the preface because that is my personal experience with exactly what you're asking, and it is quite universal. So I hope you enjoyed this. I'm off to go skiing. It looks like it might snow, which is great, and have a wonderful day. Thanks. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.